Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, is it not? Amen. Amen. We'll be in Galatians chapter 6 today, and uh, y'all have shown up for the grand finale to the book. So, uh, you know, in recapping, before we get into this last chapter, um, the, the short book, six chapters, basically was Paul saying, we don't need to focus on the legalism that so many want to focus on in the church, because that's our human condition, uh, where we seek to satisfy God with the things that we do, our works, doing good stuff. And he says, no, it's all about Jesus. And what that does for you and I is it turns us into the kind of Christians that we're supposed to be, where we focus on Jesus, Jesus is the way to heaven, and there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves there. So once we accept that, then we have peace in our life because instead of straining to do things in order to make God happy with us, we realize that the Bible says before the world was created, He already loved us. Before the world was created. So we we realize, oh wait, there's this huge plan and I'm just now fitting into it and it's not about what I do. In fact, what we do for God matters very, very little to God's success plan, okay? Uh, he's going to succeed with or without you. You serving God, that's, that's going to benefit you. And uh, it's, it's really crazy. Like, to serve God benefits you. And I can say for most of my life, you know, I started leading uh, worship in a church, I guess I was 15, so uh, giving my age away here, but 25 years ago, you know, I uh, started serving in churches, and it seems like a long time to to be walking through this service thing. And if I was close to heaven now, I would know, I think. But, you know, my serving, God's not giving me reward saying, well, because you've done this, this, and the other thing, you're that much closer to heaven. No, I was in heaven when I said, I accept Jesus Christ. And all that I've done, he's used it in my life to change me, to mold me, to make me into what he wants me to be. And so it is for all of you guys, because you all have similar stories. Maybe you haven't been a pastor in a church, but we all serve God. And wherever he's planted you, trust me, it can be a harder place than even here in what I'm doing. Uh, we, we, we sometimes want to judge others. We say, well, he's serving in a big way or she's serving in a big way. But then he or she over here, well, they're, they're not serving in such a big way. And we judge people because we haven't walked in their shoes. Um, but there's some of those quiet places of Christian service that are very difficult. And God sees it. He's given you rewards for it, but it's not getting you into heaven. So it's only Jesus. So we come through all of that. We, we say, well, who's really the enemy here? Well, the enemy, you're going to find it within yourself. You're also going to find it within religion. If you'll note, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't struggle so much with the unbeliever. Remember, he met the woman at the well. He met, uh, you know, all of these different ones, um, you know, that, that were completely, uh, you know, unbelievers, okay? He didn't struggle with them at all. In fact, he'd go eat with the sinners and, you know, the, uh, the harlots in the town. He would, he would talk with them, converse. Who did he have trouble with? Uh, it was the church people. It was of the day, but it was the Jews. It was, the, it was organized religion. So it will be with you today. 
we're not any different or you're not any better off than Jesus was. So the problem has uh, persisted. So we come to chapter 5 last week, and he says, this is how you know if you're actually walking with the Lord and, and doing what's right. It's what's coming out of you. What's coming out? And he gave us two lists. One list was the fruits of the Spirit, and the other list before that was all the works of the flesh. And this, by this, you, would, you can read and say, this is where I am with the Spirit. And so now he comes into chapter 6, and he says, now I'm going to bring all of this home for you, uh, wrap it up. Uh, so we'll leave here today sort of with an understanding of, uh, of his point. So verse 1, chapter 6, he says, brethren. So again, this would be addressed to, you know, and in the church, you say, you know, your brothers in Christ or your sisters in Christ. So it's to the, the ones who are saved, brethren. If a man, this is man or woman, is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. A lot of us, we know this verse, um, you know, overtaken. That word can mean uh, doctrinally. The word in the Greek was also used medically. It was used uh, theologically. There are several ways that someone can be overtaken. In other words, uh, overloaded. So you become overtaken or overloaded, and it does something to you. Okay, so what happens to a ship if it takes on too much water? It goes down, and, and it sinks. So you can have something that was aimed right that goes down from a, from some reason. You can have something that was, that was uh, floating and doing okay that goes down because doctrinally they got off, and it, it takes the ship down. So if a man or woman is overtaken, and then it specifies here, a trespass. So the Greek word says, well, this could be anything, but then it says specifically in a trespass. Trespass, that's a Greek word that can mean a failing of some kind. Um, so, you know, what is this failing? Well, remember, no chapter breaks. He's referring to the list that's there in chapter 5. If you're overtaken in that list of things, um, of just sins, fleshly sins that, that take you down, you who are spiritual... So not you who think more highly of yourselves than you ought to, but you who are walking with the Lord, in other words, the rest of us in church, restore. That's a great word. Restore is the Greek word that the, it's a medical term, that the doctors would use, uh, meaning to mend or to set a bone. Um, and so it would be, another word would be to mend, um, to set and think about it, you know. I remember when Emma, she broke her leg years ago, and, you know, we didn't put a Band-Aid on it and say, tomorrow you'll be good as new. And, you know, the next day she's running around. That didn't happen. Um, we waited to see, make sure it was broke first. We didn't know it was broken. So, you know, we, we set her on the bed and waited. The next day it was like it's not healing, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hurting. So we took her in, and sure enough, the leg was broken, you know. Not a clean break, obviously. We'd have figured that out right away. It's dangling. Take her in. You know. But um, the thing is, is when you break a bone, we all know this, you set it. Um, and when you do, you don't expect instant repair. Nobody does. We expect it's going to take six weeks, um, sometimes eight weeks, to get that cast off and get to walking again. And then it's going to take a few more weeks to get 
you know, the muscle built back up and all of that. So it's a common idea that when you mend something, it takes a while to heal. Interesting, because when somebody goes through a time where they fall in the church, they're overtaken in something, we who are spiritual, we say, you know, we're supposed to be like Superman, you know, boom, and you're fixed. And it just doesn't happen that way. Somebody that's overtaken in the sin, your mind's messed up. It's been altered. It's been attacked, actually. Um, and, you know, we come around that person, we shouldn't be judgmental. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. You should see them, and you should see a little bit of you in that person. It's a good idea. Look and see, you know, in the person that's failing and flailing all over and say, what about them reminds, reminds me of myself? Do I see any of me in that? Because this is, that's the lesson here for me. And judge not lest you be judged. And um, look at the rest of the verse. You restore them in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, in the same thing that they fell into. So instead of being the judgmental church, the legalistic church, we should be the gentle church that restores such a one. Now, I'm also going to say this about this verse. This, this, most people know this verse. You know, man's overtaken and trespassing. Be sure you know, you're spiritual, restore him. And uh, you know, I mentioned a little while ago, I started serving when I was pretty young in the church, 25 years around church leadership. And I have seen many uh, men and women overtaken with trespasses. And they come into the church and they take off and leave the church for all kinds of various reasons through the years. I've never seen anybody yet that came back to that fellowship that they fell away from to be restored. That's just the truth. Um, That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, what about you? What about me? What's our hearts? What if that person that hurts you worse than you can imagine? What if they walk back into your life? What if it's a mom or a dad or a friend, you know, whoever. We've all got those people. Some of us have a list of them, you know. What if they showed back up in your life? How would you treat them? I know the old Justin, you know, if I wasn't in this chair and all, you know, it's like bob and weave because I'm coming after you, you know. Um, that's the flesh. We all have that side of us. It's not about whether they come back or not. It's how would we respond? And that is a million-dollar question. I think we all struggle with this. But the right answer is that we would, if we're spiritual, we would be willing to restore. We'd be willing to set the bone and say, well, it's going to take some time, but you can heal. Does that mean that we restore them in our life to that place where they were, where they hurt us before? No. Like there's there's this thing called toxicity. And if something's toxic, you need to put those, uh, you know, my granddaddy was a gunsmith, and he worked with toxic chemicals. Just because it's a toxic chemical and you use it for good or you restore it, you know, I'm going to use this, doesn't mean you pour it all over yourself, okay? It means it's in a container over here. Those people, when they come back in your life, you can forgive them, you can restore them, you can mend them, you can, do, you can minister to them, but it's perfectly fine to put them in a container and say, I think you need to stay over here. That's perfectly fine. And the Bible doesn't mention that at all. Jesus did the same thing, okay? He was always looking to get away from certain ones and go and refresh. Every, every, all of his ministry stories are that way. I was taking my disciples. We were headed out to the hills. 
when, alas, the crowd gathered. And then Jesus would minister to them once again. He was always trying to get by himself. He said, you guys wait and pray here. Why did he want to just take three and move a little further? I don't know. Maybe it's because he knew they were going to fall asleep. It kind of you know, ruins your spiritual moment when everybody starts snoring. Okay, So he says, y'all just meet over there. I'll go over here and pray. Uh, we see that even with God. Um, God says he's holy and we can't be around him. Why? Well, shouldn't, don't I deserve to be there? God says, yeah. part of that is a protection for God himself and for us because he understands the rub-off effect. And God has us, we're not holy, so we can't look upon God because it'd burn us up you know, when we see too much light. So there's, that, that concept is all throughout the Bible. There's nothing wrong with some distance. Good fences make good neighbors. But, uh, that's sorry, that's an old ranch term, but it does work. Now, if, uh, if a man's overtaken in trespass, you know, consider our hearts. Then he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Now this doesn't mean when some knothead comes along and says, I've got a wagon full of junk, would you mind pulling it for me? That you latch on to all of their emotional garbage and all of that, and then you start pulling their load along with your load, and every time you meet somebody, you just hook their wagon onto the end. Just, yeah, just throw it on. Throw it on, people. That is not at all what this means. Bear one another's burdens. That means you help them when their burden is tough. There's another word. I want you, we'll keep reading because it's all ties together. Because verse 5, we have to fit that in here somehow, where it says, for each one's supposed to bear his own load. So we'll get there. Okay. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. This is in love. So we pray for one another. I mean, look at what the Bible says. Does it say um, a good Christian gives all your money away and pays everybody's debts all around you? It doesn't say that. You're responsible for a lot of things in life yourself. I'm not responsible for your health, nor you for mine. Um, you know, if somebody won't take care of themselves, that's, that's their thing. If somebody's addicted to substance abuse, you know, and all that situation, that's not your issue. Um, you, you can't let that rub off on you. Here's something to consider. In an airplane, you know, I'm sure many of y'all have ridden in those things. That's been 20 years for me, but um, I don't like airplanes. But last time I was on, the stewardess went through the same talk. I guess they still do that. Um, and they say, look, if you're riding with somebody that's incompetent or a child or whatever, the uh, mask drop out if the air goes away, you know, and you're supposed to put the, the oxygen on. And they would say, first put yours on, then you put it on the person next to you if they're needing help. Don't help them first because then you'll pass out. And what good are you to them if you're gone? right? It's common sense. Hey, guess what? Same is true in life. It's really hard to help people when you're down in the dumps, when you're struggling with all the temptations and sins, and then you're over there trying to help somebody else. Trust me, don't, don't have a going to the bar ministry where you go tell them about Jesus if you struggle with alcohol. What a dumb thing. I mean, I see this all over in Christianity of people the idiots trying to help more idiots, and it doesn't work. You know, Jesus even said, "Don't don't pull the the uh, uh, look for the sticker in their eye when you have a beam stuck out of your own. Judge yourselves first. So the whole this whole thing works together. You first have to help yourself in life, get yourself lined up with the Lord right, 
And then you're going to be able, as he directs, to help some others. And yet we have to do this with a lot of wisdom when you start helping other people. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I love that verse. If you think yourself to be something when you're... Look, we're all something. You have plumbers, welders, you know, mathematicians, got all kinds of people. That's not the problem. The problem is when you have an electrician who thinks he's a plumber, you know, puts the wrong kind of pipe in a house to run gas through and blows the thing up. So, you know, th- that's, those are the kind of things that he's talking about. When you are something, pray that God would show you, allow you to see what you are. Who am I, Lord? What am I supposed to do? And do that. I've seen some pastors who weren't pastors, and I wish they had known that. Um, I've seen a lot of people doing things that they weren't called to do, and it doesn't look good. Here, he's going, when you start trying to be something that you're not in this realm, well, what, what's he been talking about? He was just talking about being spiritual versus the flesh, chapter 5. So now he's saying, if you think yourself to be something, in other words, spiritual, and you're nothing, for instance, we used to have family, I'm not mentioning names, but they, they, uh, they had these bowls in their house and that, with fruit in it, okay? But the fruit was worthless. It was plastic, okay? Wooden, part of it. And uh, that's, that's a pointless bowl of fruit when it's plastic, right? Well, we were just talking about spiritual fruit, what would you think if I went to your life and went, oh, that person, they're an apple tree. They're planted firmly by the waters, bringing forth their fruit in their season. Ah, the teaching's going to be great over here at this Bible study or whatever. And I go over there, I want that spiritual fruit, and I get a bowl full of plastic fruit. I go, well, you looked good. It looked edible. It, I thought you had it really going. I thought you were spiritual, but it's plastic fruit because they weren't what they said they were. It's really unfulfilling, guys. It, it doesn't further the kingdom of God. And so he's saying, if you think yourself to be something, you've got a lot of spiritual fruit. Oh, yeah, look at me go. But you're nothing. You deceive yourself first and then others after that. And trust me, a lot of people who think they're something, that's the first person they've deceived because they think they're amazing. And it's really hard to get around those kind. Now, he says this in verse 4. If you're one of these, if you're sitting there going, oh man, i got to become a fruit inspector. I need to look at my own fruit first and see am I fruity or am I, is it just all plastic, you know? Um, let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. I love this. Paul, I think there's a little bit of a, a comedic Paul coming out this morning. Examine your own self, and then you can rejoice in yourself alone and not in the other. In other words, you can be really happy because you're like, it's real fruit. <laughs> it's real fruit. So now if somebody comes and eats on it, it'll actually benefit them. And that is, that is really awesome. You know, it was uh, Timothy who Paul told, he said, um, don't forget to point out that gift uh, in another. 
And it was just a one verse little thing that he told him, but I thought that's pretty good. In other words, when you see somebody that has a spiritual gift, point it out. Let them know. Because that's how they start knowing. Oh, okay, maybe I'm gifted here. Because it's not real clear. Um, you know, when, I know when I, when I started uh, teaching, um, I, I did worship and I could barely speak into a mic years ago. Um, I, all I could do was sing. And I just, I just really didn't like crowds. Never have liked people. Y'all, you guys are okay, but you know, I just never really have liked people. Um, crowds, you know, and the bigger the crowd, like you put me up in Fort Worth, you know, 80,000 screaming idiots all in one place. That just sounds like a bad idea, you know, and I, it's not my thing. Um, but what God does in your life, that's just me. That's Justin's character, you know. I, I, I think being out in the middle of a pasture or somewhere is grand, and I think being in the middle of town isn't all that grand. That's just my character. But then God does these works in your life, and he says, yeah, but I love those people. I know you do, God. I know. So, <laughs> but, uh, so he does this work in your life, and it takes years. You know, He's slow. Uh, he's actually fast. We're slow, and he just slows down to go at our speed. And he brings us along in life, and he gets us to this place where we're useful to him. It's kind of like a horse, you know, if you're breaking a horse. They're very not useful at, at the beginning. Uh, they, uh, they have to be trained. They have to be molded into being what you want them to be. And that's how people are. You've got you to take the rough, and, and you, he turns us into something that's somewhat useful. And uh, in a way we go, and... Then we get here, and we, we're looking at our fruit. Uh, you, you have to have the Spirit in your life, the giftedness of the Holy Spirit, in order to be useful to the Lord, any or at all. And that's what Paul's saying here. Focus on the Spirit of the Lord and His fruit blooming, blossoming in your life rather than all of the good deeds that you can try to do which end up coming across like fake apples. And uh, so he says that. Then he says in verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. And like, wait a minute, you just now said, bear one another's burdens, verse 2. Now you're saying you're going to bear your own load. Now, here's the thing. The word for burden in verse 2, that means an overwhelming large burden. So this is when something comes upon somebody and they can't get out of it on their own. They need help. Well, the church is there. We should help one another. The word for load in verse 5, it's not the same word. That word in the Greek would be what it was. uh, They didn't have backpacks, but that's how we would translate it today. It would be a backpack, um, but it was a pack that they would just throw across their shoulder. You know, probably a towel that they'd wrap their stuff in and throw it over their shoulder. But it's more of of a backpack idea. So each one needs to carry your own backpack. In other words, we each have our own small burdens in life, the things that we deal with. You don't need to meet with five counselors a week and dump it on them, okay? You just don't. You need to carry your own weight. We're designed that way. You've got a brain that you're probably not using, but about a third of it anyway. I'm not being mean. That's, that's science. So, hey, that's a new term anymore. Hey, that's science, you know, with the COVID thing. We're hearing a lot of science. It's not really very scientific, right? Uh Different point. Moving along. Hey, uh, verse 6, let him who is taught the word. So it's another standalone vo- uh, verse. 
Let him who's taught the word, that'd be you guys, that'd be me, all of us from wherever sources we hear the word taught, share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, I've seen some take that verse and they say, that means give them money. That's not exactly what it's saying. I'm not sure. All the commentaries even say that. I'm like, where is money in there? I don't see it. It says, let him who's taught the word share in all good things. So in other words, look, if you learn something, then you put that to use in your life, it changes things. Sometimes when you hear things and it opens new ideas to you, uh, it opens your mind to new ways to live, the word starts becoming alive in you. You change, and you know what that he's saying, look, if, if you learn something and it changes something in your life, come and share it. And this is probably just Paul being selfish because he's saying, because I want to know about it because it's, it fuels me. It feeds me. There's nothing worse. I mean, if any of you are teachers at all in any realm, you know, teaching kids, if you're teaching in a church, whatever, you know what this means to you when the, the kid comes up to you and says, I got it, I learned it. Or you see their, their uh, homework or something and you go, they nailed it finally. <laughs> took a long time. It took a lot to get here, but they got it. That is a source of accomplishment for you. It also is encouraging and it causes you to want to go on with it, okay? Churches are the same. When somebody learns something and you, you come up and you say, my life was headed this way, I believed this was okay and that was okay, and then from the teaching here, it has changed me. It's changed my course. Then I go, yes, okay, well, I'm on the right track. We're doing something right here. God's using this stuff in your life and mine, and we carry on. And I think that's, it's a simple way of looking at that verse, but it's good. He says, verse 7, don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Everybody knows that verse. Now, something about uh, farming. <laughs> when you plant corn, you harvest corn. That's pretty simple. Um, if you sow oats or wild oats, as they say, you reap wild oats. Um, whatever you sow, you reap. Here's another thing that most farmers absolutely, this is how they make their living. If the ratio was one to one, in other words, you plant one kernel of corn and we only harvest one kernel of corn, they'd go broke, okay? Uh, it wouldn't work. It, there has to be a ratio of increase or it's not worth doing. So when you plant a kernel of corn, it has to grow and you have to have heads of corn coming off of that or it was a no-go and so on and so forth across the whole field. Um, any kind of crop you plant, it works this way. You take, you buy a bag of seeds and you harvest this big harvest from this few seeds. You know, most gardens, you could fit all the seed that you're going to plant for a huge garden in the palm of your hand. Sometimes, sometimes two palms, maybe if you're really after it. Um, and that will be an entire garden of seed. I mean, it's really, look, you ever seen seed packets? Any, any farmers in here, gardeners, you know, there's not very few seeds. Um, and this is a, a physical thing that is, I think God may have built this earth this way to show us not the physical but spiritual truths. Because then we have, remember, the parable of the seed and the sower that Jesus gave us in the Gospels. And he said there that the, the sower sows these four different uh, types of ground, but it's the same seed that he throws out on all of it. 
And the disciples all were going, hmm, okay, what's going on? He says, I'll explain it to you. So then he says, well, the seed, that's the word, and we sow it. And the soil are the different kinds of peoples. You have deep soil, shallow soil, and all these ones. So some of them, the seed would grow quickly, and then it would just die out because it was shallow soil and with rock underneath. Some of it went to the wayside. In other words, in the bar ditch, didn't, didn't get in the ground at all. Some planted in good ground, but then the thorns and thistles would grow up and choke it out. And he, Jesus said, that's the cares of the world, things in the world that just grow up. And In other words, that's when you're like, oh, I'd love to go to church, but I can't. I got this and that and the other thing, all the cares of the world, they're important, you know. And uh, it tears you away from church or away from your study uh, of the Word of God. And uh, he's saying all that. Well, you know, it's funny how we go through all of that and then we come here, whatever a man sows, that's what you're going to reap. So you have, you have that in Matthew going on. Well, if you sow the Word of God into your life, you're going to reap the Spirit, the Word of God. If you sow to the flesh, that's what you're going to reap. You know, and some of this, it's crazy in this world right now. It's like, I don't know what happened. You know, my girlfriend's pregnant. I'm like, really? You're an idiot. You know, you don't understand biology? I mean, wow. You know, you, you raise a kid and you say, you pick what you want to be. Here's a dress, Scotty. You can either wear that or, or the other. Well, gee, it's amazing. They'll grow up confused and not knowing what they are. I mean, the Word of God doesn't lie. Whatever you sow, you reap. So, you know, you, you sow to the flesh. Go back to chapter 5, read through that whole list. If you do those things, your life will begin to look a certain way. And trust me, I've seen, because we're a, in a college town in this church, some years, like right now, we don't have very many college students, but sometimes, we, you know, this place has been half full with college students. And I've watched them come in, and I've watched them take off, and I've watched them uh, come in and make life choices both ways. And, and we know where, the, you know, because you, look, social media, it's everywhere. You always know what happens to people. You're like, oh, and you hate to see what happens to some. Blessed to see what happens to others. Such it is with all of us. You sow seeds, and then you reap certain outcomes. And this is a truth. It's a truth. And you're going to reap more than you sow, either direction. That's what's crazy. You know, if you choose to serve the Lord, and you just say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. (laughs) Before long, you're blessing more outside of your, your home's walls. And it's getting bigger and bigger. And you're not even meaning to. It's like this. Everybody says, what happened down here? I don't know. Here we are. You know, we're meeting. And um, what my intent was, honestly, was that my children, we moved here, and I wanted my children to know their Bibles. So we started a Bible study at the house. And that was, uh, Beth and I talked about it. Our intent was, I at least want them to have a basic understanding of their Bible. So we're going to go through the Bible. Let's see what God does. Fast forward a few years, it's just, it's just happened as to what it is today. Whatever it is, you know, I hope it blesses people's lives. I hope you take and there are seeds that are planted that go on. Uh, you plant seeds. And the harvest then, whether I harvest it, somebody else harvest it, the harvest is there and it will happen if the seed's planted. Doesn't matter about the sower anymore, does it? Once the seed's planted, the sower can go on. The seed is planted. 
And um, it's pretty cool. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, just like I was just talking about. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Love this verse, verse 9. Let us not grow weary. Now, this is a running term, actually. I don't know why, but Paul always liked running terms. Have you noticed? Run the race well, and then he would talk about it, you know, passing batons, and he, he had all kinds of running terms going on. And here he says, don't grow weary. That's the jogger that you see, you know, that went to the 5K and wishes it was a one or something, you know. It's like, ah, you know, I can't hardly make it. And they're just barely, barely getting to that finish line. And he's going, don't grow weary. That, and that's what that means for a runner that starts slowing down and is buckling. And he says, don't grow weary. Not while doing bad, by the way, he clarifies. Don't grow weary, you know, whatever you're sowing. He says, while doing good. You don't really grow weary while doing bad. Y'all have all been in high school. You know, y'all remember when you're, when you're doing bad things and acting out, you don't grow weary. You're just, you're just acting out and waiting for someone or something to come slap you back to your senses. Usually it takes something that happens to you, um, you know, relationship breaking up or whatever, and it snaps you back to where... God would have you to be. Clarity comes into your life again in formidable years, you know. And uh, that's, that's when you're actively running the wrong way. Well, then when you start doing good, this is the advice. Don't grow weary because when you're doing good, it can become, you, you feel like you're swimming, like a fish swimming against the current. You're, you're fighting an uphill battle to do good. It takes action on your part. It doesn't just happen. You know, to, to go help someone else and carry their burden, it doesn't just, well, God, if you bring it along, I'll do it. No, you've got to have an action in your heart of, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and go do something. Um, you know, it's very different. Defense and offense are two very different things. Consider our military on this, okay? It would take very little effort to defend our homeland if a, a other country invaded because we're here. You don't have to talk anybody into it, right? I bet you even the Democrats would get on board. You know, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to defend our country, maybe, uh, you know. But if you're talking about going overseas and going to another country to go invade them, oh, well, that's a whole different thing. That's an offensive move. Now we have to have power projection. We have to go outside of our border. We have to have supply lines, no supply lines needed if we're fighting here, right? When you go on the offensive, spiritually, you're going to have to have supply lines. You're going to be operating out of your comfort zone. You're going to be doing things that stretch you, that, that, that hinder you. You're going to be out there uh, really making a fool of yourself if the Spirit's not with you. Paul went on three missionary trips. All three of them were very, very difficult. And for 2,000 years, missionaries would all report it's been very difficult because we're projecting the power out there, you see. Always harder to do that. Take stronger people. Become those kind of people. Become forces for good. Become people that are bearing fruit and are taking the gospel out there into the world. It doesn't mean you have to be preachers. Live it. Live it. Be the kind of people that, that others ask, 
what is so special about you? You're always smiling. You always have the answer. You're always doing such a good job. You have such high standards. Your ethics, your morals are unparalleled. What's so different about you? You're one of those Christians, aren't you? And you see through your life, people should be able to see it. If you have to go around telling everybody, then you need to, just, you need to be quieter and start learning to live it, you see. And uh, that's what he's saying all through here. Don't grow weary while doing good. In due season, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Interesting. Losing heart, the same word there for heart can be faith. Uh, if you don't lose faith. Because when you go through things in life, it challenges your heart, what you believe in. Ch- challenges your faith. And Jesus, when he prayed for... Uh, Uh, Peter, when he was going through his hard trials, remember he said uh, there in uh, Luke, he said, Satan desires to sift you, Peter. But I pray for you that you don't lose faith. Interesting that he would say that. Because he realizes that when the the world comes up against you, it's not that you're going to lose money or lose your health or lose this or that or other. Jesus is worried about you losing your faith. Like, but that's Peter we're talking about. And I'm talking to all of you this morning. If Peter could lose his faith, so could you. So could I. So we need to come back to the heart of having the spiritual fruit. Get out there and serve the Lord and pray <laughs> that we don't grow weary and that we don't lose heart in the battle because the battle can get real. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Um, good verse. And then he says this, it kind of throws this in. See with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. Um, probably, he was probably frustrated about then, you know. Uh, if you ever, ever had trouble writing for whatever reason, broke hand or whatever, you know, and you write all scribbly or odd, you know, maybe there was a frustration here and he said, see the large letters. We know he had an eye problem, so uh, he couldn't see very well. And so all of Paul's letters... Seems that he would, if he wrote them himself, it would be much larger letters than the average. Other gospels, we know that others would uh, write it for him because it, it says it. Uh, but apparently, Galatians, he decided to write this one himself. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, <laughs> these would compel you to be circumcised, only that only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So he backs up and he says, "Look." About all these uh, religious ones, remember that's a Jewish thing, the circumcision. Uh, He says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. That's bad. In other words, for those that are spiritual uh, looking on the outside, the fake fruit, remember we were talking about? They all want to look good on the outside, but they don't even care what they are on the inside. Remember what Paul told the religious Jews uh, there when they had arrested and took him? Uh, he said, you whitewashed sepulchers. What's a sepulcher? It's a tomb. If you go over there to Israel today, all their tombs are these you know, big, uh, big uh, uh, headstones all over the place. A lot of uh, graveyards around Jerusalem. I don't understand why, but um, I guess the people died. Anyway, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm just thinking out loud. But... Um, they, 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 the whitewashed means that on the outside, they would go through there before uh, uh, feast in the city, 
uh, and they would whitewash the outside of all that rock and make it white. But on the inside of the sepulchers, the above ground tombs, there's a dead person. So what was he saying? You whitewashed tomb. You look all beautiful on the outside, but you're dead inside. That's what he was saying. You don't want to be that. You don't want to be fake fruit. So he says, uh, all of all of these, uh, they're just wanting to look good on the outside. Verse 13, even those who are circumcised, they keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So look, if you've run into somebody that's legalistic, they're not happy just being legalistic. They're happier if they tell you to be legalistic because nobody likes to be miserable by themselves. Uh, Verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world's been crucified to me and out of the world. How do you get away from wanting to impress someone if they're dead to you? If the world at large is dead to you, you no longer care what people think. It changes how you act. Um... You know, I would say when it comes to friends and relationships, we, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble trying to impress people that just don't care. And they'll drop you so quickly in the world. And you, you change yourself to impress them. And then you're left empty, demoralized when they take off. Better to work at God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Much better. And don't worry about impressing people. It doesn't, doesn't do any good. Uh, he says, uh, verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. In other words, keeping the law or not keeping the law doesn't avail anything but a new creation. In other words, but a new creation does. You're a new creation in Jesus. When you accept Jesus, you become a new person. And he says, all the law keeping doesn't help. But if you accept Jesus Christ, it will change your life. It changes your life. As many as walk according to this rule, in the Greek that's this singular rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. It's interesting. Only time in Scripture where it's said that way. Uh, peace and mercy be on them. So in other words, those that walk according to this new rule of accepting Jesus and upon the Israel of God. Interesting wording there. I looked it up. I studied it forwards and backwards in every which way. All I can see is that what he's trying to say is peace be upon this singular group of Christians that just accept Jesus and upon the Israel. In other words, those Israelites that have accepted Jesus in the same way, the Israel of God. Because even today we have secular Jews and we have religious Jews and we have Christian Jews. And when you get to heaven, God doesn't care about any of that. He just says, do you know Jesus? So the Israel of God, I think that's an interesting way that Paul writes that. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in the body, in my body, the marks of the Lord Jesus. Uh, in other words, he says through this whole letter, if you've been staying up with the study, they've been after him and bothering him because he's not legalistic. And he says, hey, don't anybody bother me. I've gone through a lot. I know my stuff signing off. Peace out. That's kind of what he's saying here. (laughs) Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So he ends it. So 
Paul ends his book on legalism. And, you know, for me going through it this time, I can say that week to week, uh, studying back through these things, reading back through it, revisiting this, it has cemented in me once again my disdain for legalism and my disdain for rules and regulations that don't help but that only make others feel uh, as less of a Christian, uh, not able to be part of the body or all of this different stuff. And I am, I'm renewed in my spirit coming through this and my, my fervor, really, to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified and that be it in the church and to be an encourager, not a discourager. We don't meet together, church, all of us, for me from up here, for our Sunday school, for youth, for any of our groups, or for you as individuals to go around and tell the rest of everybody in our congregation how we need to live our lives, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, rules, regulations, it's the love of Jesus. It should be ruling all of our hearts. And I would also add, you know, some pastors might have to really shake a finger at the church and say, what a terrible job y'all are doing and all that. I come through this and I say, this is good training, but you guys do a, just a fantastically good job of keeping the drama out. And I really appreciate that. I am a drama-less type person. I don't like it. Uh, as you've noted from up here at the pulpit, that's what you get if you talk to me as well. I'm very blunt. And um, I, I, it's better to be blunt. That's actually being a good Christian. Tell them the truth. The truth may hurt, but the wounds of a friend are better than the deceitful words of, of the enemy. And so let's always speak truth. Be kind, though, even while we're speaking that truth one to another. Amen? Amen. Hey, next time, if you want to read ahead, we'll start in the book of Ephesians and uh, the book on Christian living. So we got legalism out of the way, and now we'll tell you how to live, after all. So... Uh, next time. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we come, Lord, before you, and Lord, we thank you for your word. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in Christ. And we, Lord, I pray for everybody that's here in our congregation that we would think these things through, Lord, that we would sort of chew on these ideas and uh, meditate on them, Lord, that uh, we need to just focus on having Jesus in our lives. No rules, no regulations. Let love rule our lives and our heart. Maybe be a people, Lord, all of us that are gathered here that come to demonstrate real Christianity. And uh, Lord, we also pray very pointedly for our area, for our nation, Lord, that you would use all of us, everyone in this room, to spread the good news of Jesus and the love of Christ, Lord. We love you. Until we meet again, I ask that you would watch over and keep all of us who are gathered here in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.